The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, member of the Wells, preached on November 11, 2012, based on Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus today is Hebrews chapter 9, verses uh, 24 through 28. You heard it read earlier as the second lesson. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Revelation chapter 1. A 13th century hymn, Dies Irae, describes that same day with these words. Day of wrath, O day of mourning, see fulfilled the prophet's warning, heaven and earth in ashes burning. Death is struck and nature quaking. All creation is awaking to its judge and answer making. What fear and terror judgment day can stir up. Many people try to dismiss it as only stories. Stories made up to scare people straight or to give control to the church. Others simply try not to think about it too much. That day is coming. Whether people are watching for it or not, like a thief in the night, it will come. And what woe and dread it brings to those who hear will hear the kingly judge say, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fires prepared for the devil and his angels. But you, dear Christian, You whose eyes are fixed on Jesus and whose heart is devoted to him say, I can't wait. I can't wait for Judgment Day. Yes, say that with all eagerness and gladness. Oh, don't say it because of some sort of sadistic, spiteful desire that wants to see those who have hurt me burn. No, that's not why we say, I can't wait. And we dare not say those words with a self-confident attitude that figures that I haven't been so bad, I've done my best, I've, I've fulfilled my duty, so Judgment Day should go pretty well for me. No, that's not why we say I can't wait. In fact, both of those mindsets and, and any related kind of mindset drives out and destroys the true reason for our eagerness. And that kind of mindset in fact, leaves us unprepared, totally unprepared. Why can we say, I can't wait? Yes, despite the terror and dread of that day, despite the requirement of complete perfection and holiness, despite our own many sins hidden in our hearts and others not so hidden, all fully known by the judge, why do we say, I can't wait? The Holy Spirit the writer to the Hebrews tells us why. Because Christ's one sacrifice does away with all sin, part one, and because Christ's second coming 
brings me full salvation. Part two. That, dear Christians, is why you and I can say, we can't wait. Christ's one sacrifice does away with sin. And let's, let's begin here by thinking about that word sacrifice, because I think often we use it in, in trivial ways, don't we? We say stuff like this, oh, I, I sacrificed watching the game so I could get yard work done, or I sacrificed eating dessert to lose a few pounds, or I sacrificed buying what I wanted because the budget was tight. The Hebrew Christians, though, had a much better picture of what sacrifice was all about. For 15 centuries, the Jews had watched sacrifice, first at the, temple, uh, at the tabernacle and then later at the temple. They heard the bleeding death cries of sheep and goats. They witnessed necks cut and blood drained out. They had the stench of, of, of singed flesh soaring to their nostrils. Yes, sacrifice is a messy, bloody, deadly ordeal. Maybe in our modern sanitized age, veterans who have seen the carnage of war have the best understanding of what sacrifice is all about. Yes, sacrifice. That word carries a very vivid and heavy picture. And and that's not, not... depart too far from that idea of of, of veterans and war as we think about sacrifice. For when we think about war and the rumors of wars that will continue until the end of time, they teach us of just how costly sacrifice is, don't they? For you see, that death and destruction that we see on the battlefield isn't an aberration. That's what each of us has inherited in our sinful nature. Yes, that death and destruction lurks in our own hearts. That's how serious sin is and why sin requires such a great sacrifice. Now, as I said, the the Jews of the Old Testament had that regular picture of just how serious and costly sacrifice was. The high priest, besides offering the daily sacrifices, the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, called Yom Kippur, would bring blood into the inner sanctuary, the most holy place. Now this was not his own blood because because he himself was a sinner who needed his sins paid for. It was the blood of another that he brought, the blood of the animal sacrifices, but even those sacrifices, even though they were offered again and again, couldn't truly pay for sin because they were just a shadow, a picture of the reality, the substance, the one true and genuine sacrifice that was to come. The one and only sacrifice that can truly pay for sins. And throughout all those ages, the Lord was preparing this world. Yes, he was preparing all things so that at the appointed time, the goal was reached. And he sent his son Or as the text in Hebrews 9 says, Christ has appeared once for all to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Ponder, dear Christians, the greatness 
of that sacrifice that Jesus made. He didn't offer the blood of animals, but his own blood, his holy, precious blood, the blood of God, for he is the eternal Son of the Father. And unlike the priests in the Old Testament, he did not bring his sacrifice, his blood, into a man-made sanctuary. For you see, even the tabernacle, even though its design was given to Moses by God himself on Mount Sinai, Even the tabernacle was a mere copy of the true, genuine sanctuary of heaven. And that, dear friends, is where Christ's blood stands for you and for me. His sacrifice stands before God in heaven itself. His blood stands before the throne of the Almighty for you and for me. How great his sacrifice for us. And again, unlike the the priests in the Old Testament, he didn't have to offer himself again and again, did he? Year after year. But on that cross, his death, at that particular point in time, was once and for all. Yes, for all the time before and after that moment, on that cross, he suffered. Oh, how he suffered, sacrificing himself one time, for all sins of all times, including all of yours, dear sinner. How great his sacrifice for you. And that sacrifice, that blood of Jesus Christ, stands between you and the holy God. And your faith sees his one sacrifice and pleads nothing else I dare to make no other claim but wholly lean on Jesus' name, we sang a little while ago. For your faith and hope, dear Christian, is built on Jesus' one sacrifice, which alone atones or pays for all your sins. Only his sacrifice. Not our works or efforts or devotion or gifts, but only his sacrifice is our plea before the judge. Nothing else counts. Only his sacrifice. Nothing else counts. For that sacrifice alone is our defense, is what your faith pleads in God's courtroom. And so nothing else, no matter how worthy or pious or good it may appear, nothing else matters. Only Christ's sacrifice. His once and for all sacrifice. Cherish that sacrifice, dear friends. Cherish it with all your heart. For even though we we have learned about it again and again, and yet there is so much room for us to grow in truly appreciating what it means. For if we fully appreciated the full impact of what that sacrifice meant, how much more wouldn't we dare to live for Christ who died for us? How much less would be sin's power to entice us? And how much more would we be devoted to Christ and his word, showing his love towards others? Yes, we can learn the words that confess how great his sacrifice is, but that is just the beginning, isn't it? 
Even a thousand lifetimes isn't enough to penetrate the full depth of the greatness of his sacrifice for you and for me. And so don't waste the time that we have here, dear Christian friends. Rather, as you read the Bible, contemplate how the gracious Lord God, your God, was preparing all the ages of this world for the sending of his Son, Jesus Christ, to be that one sacrifice for you. Rejoice how Jesus sends out this good news of forgiveness into all the world for you to hear and believe. And ponder how he brings the intimacy of his sacrifice to you personally through the Lord's Supper. His own body and blood sacrificed on the cross once and for all for you. He gives to you to eat and to drink. How great his sacrifice. How much for us to ponder and cherish. And the more we treasure Christ's one sacrifice, the more eagerly we can each call out, I can't wait. I can't wait to see Jesus. Just as a a, a wife longs to see her dear husband, so I long to see my Jesus. How much he loves me. For look, look at his great sacrifice, that one sacrifice he made for me. Yes, Christ's one sacrifice has done away with all my sins. Yes, dear Christians, we can't wait because you know and believe Christ's one sacrifice that has taken away your sins. And so also you look forward to his second coming with that same eagerness, for you know when he comes again, He brings full salvation for us who are waiting for him. Which brings us to part two here. And and we hear these words from from Hebrews 9 that, that points us to that second coming. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In the end, this life on earth is pointless meaningless for those who are not waiting for Jesus. Oh, I realize that they often are filled with hopes and dreams and, and they have a drive that, that, that uh, works towards goals and accomplishments and they may have many times of happiness and, and success, but, but where does it all lead? In the end, everyone dies. The rich and the poor, the powerful and powerless, the hopeful and hopeless, The text reminded us of that, didn't it? Man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. And so without faith in Christ that awaits his return, without such a faith, life is an aimless, deathward drift from feudal birth. Those without faith in Jesus only face a death and a judgment that brings damnation, hell, the lake of fire, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness where the maggot never dies and the flame never goes out. What hopelessness. Yes, that is what is ahead for those who are not waiting for Jesus. And as we realize that. 
we see how important faith in Jesus is. Faith that looks to him alone. And this faith isn't simply knowing about Jesus. Yes, there are people who may claim to have faith, who even know a lot about Jesus, but they're not waiting for him. And they may say something like this, yes, I believe in Jesus. I know he paid for my sins. He's taken care of the spiritual stuff and and reserved a spot in heaven for me so I can focus on my life now and on what I need to enjoy my life here on this earth. Now, do such words come from a heart that is eagerly waiting for Jesus, that is saying, I can't wait to see him? Is there such faith in such a heart? And yet how many people, even baptized and confirmed here, might say something like that or might, by their actions and choices in life, show that that's what they are thinking? But where is the faith? For you see, faith, faith that trusts in Jesus, brings about a change in our hearts and lives a change uh, uh, that, uh, that, that, that produces fruit, just as a good tree bears good fruit. Where is the eagerness that focuses on Jesus, knowing that he has died even for me? Where is the eagerness that wants to live for him and show his love towards others? And so... Without a living faith that's waiting for Jesus, a person is lost. And death only brings unending suffering, no matter what, whether they realize it or not. And that is why, dear Christian friends, we focus on Jesus, on his sacrifice for us. For the Holy Spirit has worked faith in your hearts. Faith that looks to Jesus and trusts in him alone. And that faith is eager for his return. The more we focus on Jesus and his sacrifice for us, as we talked about in part one, the more eager we are for his return again in glory. For we know that this earthly life is passing away. We know that this earthly life is filled with its times of troubles. But we know that Jesus is coming. He is coming again. And this world will come to an end. But that does not bring us terror or fright because we know that Jesus, who is coming, is our Savior. That the same Jesus who offered himself on the cross in our place is coming to judge the living and the dead. And so we face this life here on this earth with that eagerness that looks ahead to Jesus, that eagerness of faith that confesses, yes, I am a sinner, but Jesus has paid the price for me, so I want to live for him. And I eagerly look ahead for his coming again because I know it is better by far to be with Christ, but until that time, until he returns, I will fill my time of waiting by focusing on him and his word and by showing his love towards others. For I want to live for Christ who gave himself 
for me. We can face whatever comes with that confidence then. For this life on this earth will be a veil of tears, a, a, a world of sadness and sorrow. It's, it's a sin-filled desert drear. But Jesus is coming. And so we do not devote our lives to grinding out of this world whatever we can grasp or clutch. Rather, we live for Jesus and eagerly await his second coming with that anticipation, that anticipation that cries out, I can't wait. I can't wait. That's what your hearts of faith eagerly say. I can't wait because Jesus is coming. He has coming again, and he will wipe away every tear from my eyes. Yes, until that time, my life is besieged by sin. Satan stalks me. Death threatens me. Sadness and tears trouble me. Doubt and despair attack me. But Jesus is coming. And so I will live for him. I will deny myself and take up my cross. I will follow my Savior no matter what the cost. For I know and believe that Jesus is coming. And I will stand before him fully forgiven justified, acquitted in God's courtroom because of what he has done for me, because of that one a great sacrifice. And when he returns, oh, what riches of salvation in heaven he has in store, for he wipes every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And you will hear him say, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, take the inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.